the IBM Cloud Podcast, coming to you every show with information about new capabilities and releases. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the IBM Cloud Podcast. We are hosting the offerings team here at IBM Cloud. I'm Ian Lynch. And I'm Steve Shoket. And today we have as our guest, Deborah Leff. Now, Deborah is with the Data Science and AI team. Welcome, Deborah. Thank you so much for having me. So this will be the first of a seven-part series that we're talking about artificial intelligence. And uh, from what I've heard, it's like a, a $16 trillion opportunity. So there's tons of money out there. But, you know, the stats only say, you know, like maybe 4 or 5% of enterprises are really getting there and getting it. And so before we get to the why, what kind of... Um, what kind of business value do you think these companies are looking to get out of AI? I mean, it's got to be useful for more than just beating chess and Jeopardy champions. <laughs> it is indeed. In fact, I think most companies are really looking into a couple of different categories. I think first and foremost, it's all about improving customer experience because the way that we can train models and have them inform decisions to collect all of this incredible amounts of data we now have access to and truly learn patterns for what customers are really looking for, it allows them to provide a much, much better service. So I would say that today, so much about AI is all around delivering a much better customer experience to attract and retain your most valuable customers. And then the second category is about eliminating costs out of an organization because we can use machines to augment the intelligence of humans and absolutely actually automate some of the things um, that people have to do that are just manually and manual and task oriented. So every time I hear about AI, right, we, we talk about it so many times, everyone hears about it, everyone knows what it is, but it always seems to be that the big companies that come out are like the banking, the insurance sectors, but it's, it's, it's able to scale ever, right? We're able to use this across different industries and it doesn't need to be huge, massive amounts of data that we're talking about. Basically, what I'm trying to get to is that we, we can infuse this AI capability into basically any industry, right? Absolutely, but that's a lot harder than that sounds. And I think <laughs> the biggest barrier to entry for companies to embrace AI projects is these are highly complex concepts. They need highly trained PhD and, and AI practitioners to work with them. And we're just seeing a really large disconnect between business leaders knowing just there's so much hype around AI right now, they know that this is the future. They know they need to do this. But the gap between where they should be investing and who they should be hiring, um, which solutions are truly scalable or only going to serve like a small point solution and not be able to scale, um, that's really confusing right now. So and I think that's most of the work that we do is trying to demystify that. Absolutely. And I, is, is it a case that knocking down these barriers to entry is just automating all this? Or is it a case of that you kind of, you need to kind of reorganize in order to adopt AI? So let me answer that by telling you one of the largest challenges that I see for companies. And that is over many years, we have been trained to think of enhancements, business improvements as incremental change. We're beholden to systems that we have spent like 10, 15 years developing that are rigid because of the way that they're, they're manually coded. There are like millions of lines of code in our mission-critical systems. And the best that we could have done was 
hey, we're on version 10. Let's think of what we can accomplish for version 10.1 in this limited time frame. And the thing that is just so magical about what machine learning can bring to an organization is it actually allows you to step away from what you know and think about the outcome you are trying to drive. And that's a major shift in the way people approach projects. And if you can really think just outcome, not be held back by, by your existing way of doing things, then we start to see just magic happen. And, and companies reimagine business processes. And the most amazing thing about that is that given all of the agile technologies we have today with cloud and microservices and modern techniques of training a computer in instead of programming a computer, really incredible, impactful projects can be completed in a number of weeks and not months and years. And that's, you know, the companies that are that are finding that out firsthand are are literally off to the races because analytics begets analytics. And when you when you when you start succeeding with these types of projects, the idea factory just seems to start exploding. And then companies can just actually keep accomplishing more and building on that success. So it sounds to me, I mean, I heard some key words in there. It's it's reimagine and um you know, paradigm shift, which you didn't actually say, but that really is. You just got to look at it differently than uh, programming and incremental, right? It, yes. And, you know, one of the things when I'm talking with business leaders we talk about is there's so much domain expertise in your line of business leaders. And it's almost like asking a business leader, if you had a crystal ball and you could see what is going to happen in the future, what questions would you want to ask so that you could make better decisions today? And so much of what we can do today is about is, is actually about prediction because it changes the way you do things right now. And the answers to that question vary dramatically, you know, from some some of our, you know, a supply chain manager has very large questions they would like to ask. When are my deliveries due? Where are they gonna be due? What's the most efficient route? Right, they'll have a lot of questions around that, but then sometimes you get a, a line of business leader who asks like this most obscure thing that only they could ask because they live this business problem every day. And some of those projects are, you know, four weeks, six weeks, and have a dramatic impact on the way that person can deliver in their job role. And it's fascinating to see those ideas. So, you know, I, I listened to something the other day, and it said that, you know, companies that are adopting or want to adopt AI are either builders or buyers. And if they're builders, they're just, you know, they're programmers and they're used to using tools and building those tools. And if they're buyers, then they're looking to solve a problem, a business problem, as you said, to get a desired outcome. Now with $16 trillion out there and, you know, minimal adoption, who are the major players? And, and you know, I mean, are they the usual suspects? Uh, to quote something from a movie, you know, the usual suspects are, are the, the, the large cloud vendors or. So. So here's the thing. I mean, I think the, you know, the, the venture capital in, you know, anything AI has simply exploded. I can tell you that I have seen things labeled as AI and are no more capable than a VB lookup in Excel. I have seen I have seen uh, a data science team develop a very powerful comprehensive machine learning model and engineering not know how to implement it so they execute it with rules and logic. 
and literally take all of the magical powers out of the model because they don't know how to implement it. I think the challenge that companies face today and the reason why uh, Harvard Business Review says that only 8% of companies are truly uh, delivering AI at scale is because while so many people are, are trying to embrace AI, there's a lot of young you know, venture capital backed companies that are just learning themselves. Like they can do it in the lab once, but they can't do it 100,000 times an hour, right? I think there's a lot of putting AI to work that is still in its infancy, which is you know, one of the reasons why IBM is so focused on, on the, the DevOps, what we call AI ops, end of the equation, because many data scientists can, can get to the point where they find insights. In fact, I meet with data science teams all of the time and they're like, we have the best data scientists. They can find the most amazing insights in our data. And I'm like, that's fantastic. I'm so happy for you. Talk to me about what's in production. And then like the air leaves the room and it's like, oh, production? Yeah, we, we can't get there yet. We're, we're having trouble. And that's the challenge is, is it's to have the ideas and develop the models, there's amazing data scientists out there that can do that work. But companies don't have the same frameworks that they've had to support engineering and, and DevOps that we've had, you know, for a very long time. Instead, they, they don't know how to do that. That means we need the same frameworks that exist for those other areas to come into the world of data science. Because data science has very traditionally been a sole practitioner sport. It's been an individual sitting behind a terminal with some open source code and a data set doing work on their own. And that, that has changed dramatically as AI has stepped into the forefront. As you're talking through that, Deborah, I'm kind of thinking that maybe it's just the way we're kind of taught to think about this, right? So for example, I think last year, I sadly wasn't there, but I read and heard a lot about a project debater, which was ongoing at Think, right? This wasn't just like an academic project. This, this, this was what you're talking about. We got a whole load of data scientists in the room, got a whole team, put something together and created something amazing using AI capabilities. But I think you're so in awe looking at this that you forget that, wow, this can be applied in so many different ways. I took a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and it's like, wow, what if I could do that? It's thinking beyond what that is. That's just really the showcase, a portion or one thought or one idea of a capability, right? Exactly. And you actually just just brought back to the, what I opened with is that this is the power of AI is in the outcome driving, driving outcomes and talking first about what it is you're trying to accomplish. And then, I mean, you, I have seen projects that do one thing, right? You can describe in one sentence the outcome of that project, but underneath there are a hundred models coming together to deliver on that one thing. So if, if someone could talk to us about the outcome they're trying to drive, you have this giant smorgasbord of AI capabilities and machine learning capabilities that can creatively come together to deliver on that vision, right? Project Debater wasn't like, hey, let's start with, oh, let's make a software that does this. It started with what's the challenge? What could we do that we could do a good job? This is about driving outcomes and why it's so important that we retrain the thinking internally to think about what we want this to do, because then you can leverage so many different AI and machine learning models that come together to deliver something. And this is what I was saying earlier about the engineering challenge that we're so used to talking incremental. 
if someone comes and says, all right, look, we want a model to do this thing and it should work like this, a chatbot is a great example, right? That was one of the first foray that so many people took when wanting to try and adopt something that is AI infused. But you know, a lot of chatbots on the market today are masquerading as AI, when in reality, they're just automated FAQ. And that's a great example of where, you know, people are trying to progress and to capitalize on this humongous opportunity in the marketplace that you mentioned earlier. But there's this, these things need to be demystified. We can't just, you know, trust the packaging. We, you have to understand what are all of the natural language capabilities? What, what can, what can natural language understanding bring to the table? Talk about the outcomes you want and then let the engineers have the freedom to pull together whatever technology makes sense to come together to deliver on that outcome objective. So, um, you know, the, the rest of these episodes, and we've got six more we're gonna do right after this, but the rest of these episodes will focus on the AI ladder. And that to me sounds like it's the frameworks for the AI ops that you, the AI ops that you talk about, much in the same way that, you know, 20, 15 years ago, we had our DevOps frameworks. Is that right? I mean, how would you describe the ladder? So what I love most about the ladder is that it breaks it down into very consumable chunks so that everyone in the organization can understand what are all of the pieces and parts that need to come together to support an efficient and effective AI execution capability. Because it, it's, you know, you cannot deliver on artificial intelligence. You cannot walk into a store and say, uh, I'll take uh, five AIs and a cup of coffee to go, please. That doesn't work. These are very different capabilities than what we're used to. They're not a pre-programmed application that we put into production. It's a process and they need their own ecosystems underneath it to support it. So this is why you can't just walk around and go, oh, let's just infuse AI everywhere. Let's go ahead and just sprinkle a little over here and a little over there and we'll make this system smarter because the traditional monolithic coded systems that we have are not able to support this very new way of execution. And so thinking about the, the information architecture that needs to support it and all of those layers of what's needed underneath, it's just such a, a clear way of understanding what's really needed in the organization. And I will say part of that ladder is not just that orientation, but it's IBM's commitment to wanting to understand what's needed and looking for places to help people go faster. And a lot of AI, because there's so much innovation in open source, we embrace open source. Open source is critical to machine learning, but there's a lot of things open source does not address. And that's where I think a lot of companies are struggling because they're relying on open source exclusively but if you take a look at actually what's really needed to go from your idea to your implementation to your, your operationalization to your maintenance over time, because these models will change over time as they ingest more data, you thinking through that whole entire thread and making sure companies have what they need to be successful is very key to the things that we're focused on here at IBM. So focusing on the business challenges and what you mentioned earlier on with the mystifying, I'm going to put a plug in for something because IBM and O'Reilly are offering a free 
um, online ebook actually. So if you do a quick Google search for O'Reilly and the AI Ladder, you will find an amazing ebook called The AI Ladder Demystifying AI Challenges. It's really, really an interesting read. Um, so Deborah, next week, or sorry, in the next couple of weeks, the Data and IA Forum is happening in Miami. So speaking of events that's ongoing, if you want to get a bit of a flavor from that, what do you think people will actually expect to kind of get out of that or what's going to happen during that forum? Yeah, so this forum has, uh, it, it actually covers so much ground. It's really a very focused event on all things data and AI, hence the title, Data and AI Forum. Um, so whether or not you're, uh, you could be a technician from within IT that is interested in understanding architecturally what's out there, what should you be considering? This is a great location to get exposed to all of these um, advancements to support the implementation and execution of AI. Uh, it could be that you are a practitioner that's that's using any of our, you know, it, you know, any products from IBM and want to, you know, hands-on labs and and improve skill or get exposed to other complementary solutions. And new this year, um, IBM has added a conference track for business professionals. I mean, this is something I have been very involved in for the last number of months, because part of what we see in the marketplace is that because AI demands this new perspective of thinking through outcomes, we wanted to provide an opportunity for business leaders to come in and really learn everything about, one, you know, how this impacts their role. Uh, Harvard Business Review said not that long ago that AI will not replace managers, but managers that use AI will replace those that don't. And that's really easy to see because those that understand how to leverage these capabilities in their domain and married to their domain expertise are really able to accomplish incredible things and will be in high demand in the marketplace. Um, and I think one of the funnest things that we're doing is we're bridging the gap between all of this technical jargon and demystifying that for executives so that by the time they leave this track, they will have had exposure to lots of use cases, customers who have been down this journey who are ahead of them, hear from the lessons they've learned. Uh, we're gonna challenge our data scientists to speak in plain English um, so that we understand all of the terminology that they're using so that our you know, business leaders don't feel intimidated just by the vernacular. Um, and we're gonna walk through you know, what it takes to feel confident in working with these technologies and how to get started. I'm going to make you step back up and say that line again about the managers and AI. Harvard Business Review said not that long ago in an article that AI will not replace managers, but managers that use AI will replace those that don't. That is epic. And that's the way it should have been, I think. And market, well, I wouldn't say marketed, but those words, I think, if they had been used from when we introduced, I don't mean IBM, I just mean the world and the whole concept of AI. If if those words had carried forward, I think, Deborah, it would have made the adoption, I think, a lot quicker. Because it's well, so true from everything that you've just said there and summarized all the way through. Yeah, I, I, well, I think, I do think that that's very important. I think that's half of the equation. The other half of the equation is uh, we see people every day really putting their best effort behind trying to be successful with AI, but not being able to get to AI at scale with the tooling that they have. And so 
I'm not seeing a reluctance. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing, you know, the opportunity for education has a huge impact and that's tremendous. I, I really believe very much in what Harvard Business Review is saying. But on the other side, I have such empathy for those that are really giving it their best shot. And the not being successful part is very painful because it's not for lack of trying. Um, part of what we've been doing here at IBM is not just around technology. Part of what we've been doing is, is staff augmentation, where we, we come in, we help them define an outcome they're trying to drive, we scope out what that project would look like, and then we go into a garage together with them, with their resources to co-create something using best practice methodology and the right skills. Part of the challenge for businesses today is that everyone out there is calling themselves a data scientist. The definition of a data scientist has become very flexible. And so if you're a company and you're trying to bring in machine learning experts and AI practitioners, and you're, you, you, you think you're hiring the right skill, but you accidentally hire a, 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 a BI engineer who, who decided to call themselves a data scientist, you now still don't have those skills in-house. In and it's gonna take you months before you realize that. And companies are really struggling. This is, this is something that they, they've told us about, they've, they've talked to us about, that they're trying, but they need to be able to bridge that gap so that they understand what to look for in, in people they're bringing on board or work in partnership with a company that, that can bring in the right skill sets and not be committed to a specific person. Well, I always say at the end of the show it was super informative, but it really, really was, Deborah. And I'm really looking forward to going through the next six episodes and figuring out all these runs of the AI ladder and how it actually all works, comes together, because it sounds pretty cool and amazing. So, Deborah, um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, yes, it was, as I said already, very, very informative. So, yeah, thanks, Emil, for coming on. Thank you for having me. And guys, for myself and Steve, as always, thanks for tuning in. See you next time on the IBM Cloud Podcast.